In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Another huge rally in the Dow Jones today, up 1,351.6.38%. Not quite as big as Tuesday's 2,000 point rally, but still uh, one of the biggest days ever for the Dow. In fact, over the last three consecutive days, the Dow has risen by 24% from the low on Monday to today's close. I mean, technically, I guess that's a bull market in the span of three days. But, you know, to me, this is just a correction in a bear market. Whether or not it technically meets the definition of a bull market, I think is immaterial. You know, when you have a market, a bull market rather, or a bear market, that started as rapidly as this one, that fell as much as it did, as quickly as it did, it makes sense that you would have a pretty big correction. In fact, I'm sure during the 1930s, I haven't checked the number, but there were many such rallies within that long-term bear market where you had corrections that were greater than 20%. You know, in fact, there were a lot of people on CNBC today that were really pounding the table. In fact, they brought one person after another on all day long to tell investors to buy, that the bear market is over, that it's a new bull market, that there's not much risk in the market, that you're going to make money if you buy. You know, it's a year from now, two years from now, you're going to be way ahead. Everybody was bullish. I didn't really hear any bears. And in fact, it seems to be the consensus that this is going to be a very short 
uh, bear market because it's all temporary, right? It's all man-made. It's all because of the coronavirus and everything is going to be fine uh, as soon as everybody goes back to work. And of course, all of this is complete wishful thinking. It's people being blind to reality. I mean, first of all, we just had the longest bull market in history. And it occurred during the biggest credit bubble in history. And it started from the most overvalued level in history. And it was the most violent start. It was the quickest start to a bear market, you know, from record highs to bear market territory ever. So given all of this, why would anybody think that this would be like the shortest bear market ever? Doesn't make any sense. It was the longest bull. It makes more sense that it would be followed by the longest bear, especially given the amount of monetary excess that it took to inflate this massive bubble and how screwed up the U.S. economy is now compared to how it was in the past when we started uh, bear markets. In fact, if you look at the biggest bear markets, the 1930s and the 1970s, the U.S. economy is in far worse shape now than it was back then. So this is not just going to be a typical bear market. This is going to be as atypical as the bull market that preceded it. This is going to be the longest, deepest, most brutal bear market in U.S. history. And it makes sense that in the beginning of the market, uh, none of these so-called experts can see that. In fact, the leaders in this rally, right, this correction, are the very companies that benefit the most from the government bailout. I mean, that's what's really driving the rally. It's the Federal Reserve and it's the, the U.S. government. I mean, they're oblivious to the economic numbers, right? We got the unemployment numbers that came out earlier this morning. In fact, that really sparked the rally when we got the unemployment claims. The consensus was for about a million uh, new claims, which would have shattered the record. I forget what the the old record was six, seven hundred thousand set back in the 2008 financial crisis when we had a big jump in claims. But I think everybody knew that we were going to beat the million, but they didn't realize that we beat it by this much. We actually got three million two hundred eighty three thousand new claims in a single week. So that shatters the previous record. In fact, I think the next week's claims will actually beat this record. That's how bad it was. But because of what's going on, you've got the Federal Reserve printing a ton of money. In fact, later in the day, just before I started this podcast, we got the numbers on the Fed's balance sheet. And in the latest week, the balance sheet was up by $586.1 billion in a single week. Now, that is more than seven months of QE3 done in a single week. And, you know, my guess is that we're going to beat it or at least equal it in the current week at the rate we're going. Before the month of June is over, the Fed's balance sheet will be $10 trillion. I mean, it's already at five and a quarter trillion right now. It's almost 20% larger than it was at its peak before the Fed started quantitative tightening, right? Before its failed attempt to shrink its balance sheet, we're now almost 20% bigger than the absolute high point of the balance sheet before it started to shrink it, which again, fulfills another one of my uh, um, predictions that I made from the beginning. But all of this money printing, in fact, the money supply was up $170.1 billion 
on the week. It's all this money printing that is driving the stock market. In fact, earlier this morning, uh, Jerome Powell was on the Today Show and I watched his live interview and you know some of the more ridiculous things he said the woman interviewing him actually asked you know if he was worried about inflation and he basically answered that question very quickly in one word no right so the definition of inflation is expanding the money supply he's expanding the money supply faster than it's ever been expanded in history and he's not even worried about inflation. You know, as I've been saying, there is a very false sense of complacency here because the Fed dodged a bullet uh, with QE1, 2, and 3 because we didn't get the type of increase in consumer prices that some people like me uh, were forecasting. Instead, uh, the bulk of the inflation manifests itself in rising uh, financial prices, financial assets, stocks, real estate, bonds, not as much in consumer prices. There was consumer prices went up. They just didn't go way up. And so the Fed is now convinced that, well, it doesn't matter how much money they print, except they're already doing so much more than they did then. I mean, it's, a cra it's not even close, the amount of money they're printing now, how rapidly the balance sheet is growing. And as I have been saying on this podcast, the main reason that we didn't get the collapse of the dollar and the surge in consumer prices was because everybody believed that it was temporary, that it was a one-time emergency measure, that the Fed was gonna be able to normalize interest rates, that the Fed was gonna be able to shrink its balance sheet. Well, nobody is gonna be dumb enough to believe that this time. So we're gonna get all the inflation we didn't get last time, and then some. It's gonna be so much worse, and the Fed isn't even concerned. Or maybe he's so concerned that he's afraid to admit it. So all he can say is no. And then she asked him another question. She said, you know, are you worried about the Fed running out of ammunition? And he said, no, we'll never run out of ammunition. We have an unlimited supply of ammunition, which I suppose is correct, right? I mean, the only weapon that the Fed has is a pretty press. And the only ammunition is paper and ink. Right. Although in reality, they don't even use a printing press. They just, you know, click a keyboard. But if their only uh, weapon is a printing press and the only ammunition they have is paper and ink, right, they're never going to run out of that. I mean, I guess technically because they don't even need the paper and ink, because in theory, there is a limit to the supply of paper and ink. So in that reality, the Fed would eventually run out of, of ammunition. But in today's electronic world, the Fed will never run out of ammo. That is not the problem. The problem is when the Fed's ammo uh, runs out of value, right? When all the money they're printing is worthless. So the Fed will keep on firing right, its weapons until the dollar is dead. And that is what is going to happen. In fact, while the U.S. stock market was rising today, the dollar was sinking. You know, the dollar index, which almost got up to 103 last week, is back down to 99. 4.7 is where it closed, about a 1.5% decline today. I think a lot of people got suckered into the dollar rally uh, over the last few days just based on the idea that there was going to be a dollar shortage, there was a liquidity squeeze. I kept pointing out that the one thing there wasn't going to be a shortage of is dollars. There may be a shortage of everything else. There may be a shortage of all the stuff that we actually need but there's going to be a massive surplus of dollars. The Federal Reserve is flooding the world with dollars. And so I think now you've got a lot of foreign exchange speculators that bought into that head fake. They're now long the dollar and they're underwater. Uh, they're hoping for some kind of rally to get out. I don't know that they're going to get it. 
pretty soon they're going to stop hoping for a rally and just bail out at whatever price they can get. I think this is the beginning of a massive uh, bear market in the dollar that could end in hyperinflation, as I've been saying. And so ultimately, that's what happens to the Fed. The Fed's ammo loses its effectiveness because the money they're printing has no value. That's the end game. That is where we are headed. Gold, you know, still only up about 12 bucks today. It's around 1624. You know, I don't know what is keeping gold down. I mean, I am expecting a massive rally any day. I mean, any day it's got to happen. I mean, we're about 3% from our highs. The gold stocks still haven't figured this out. You know, the junior mining stocks, I talk about them, the GDXJ, they're still about 30% from their highs. They're still down about 24% on the year, even though gold is up 8% on the year. The, you know, the senior mining stocks aren't doing as bad as the small guys. But the fact that these stocks are down so much just shows you uh, how little confidence people have in this rally on Wall Street. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
in Main Street, I mean, people are buying like crazy. Gold dealers are running out of inventory all over the place. Although what I think is happening now is the people who have been buying gold and silver for years are now just buying more. They're just adding to their positions. I don't know if there's that many new buyers yet who have figured out that they need some gold and silver. But by the time they do, right, the prices are going to be much, much higher because the people who have been waiting for this for years, who have known this was coming, now they can read the writing on the wall. It's a lot clearer. And so they're acting quickly to get more gold and silver while they can. And, you know, the phones are ringing off the hook at Shift Gold. But I think a lot of people don't even know the wall is there, let alone, you know, can read the writing. So at some point, though, people are going to run into that wall and figure out what it says. And then everybody's going to be buying gold and silver. But right now, the, the people on Wall Street, they still don't get it, right? They're still looking at this rally. They think the Fed is fixing everything. They have no clue. And in fact, it's not just the monetary stimulus. It's the fiscal stimulus. Uh, the market is you know, rallying on relief that the stimulus bill, bailout bill, whatever you want to call it, made it through the U.S. Senate. In fact, it made it through unanimously. Not a single U.S. senator had the integrity to vote against this stimulus bill. Now, I understand why Democrats would enthusiastically vote in favor of this. This is the biggest expansion of government probably since the New Deal in the 1930s, right? This, this gives the government incredible new powers, massive new spending, right? Uh, it creates really a whole new entitlement culture. So I can see why Democrats would love this, right? If you're a socialist, I mean, this is a dream come true for you. So you would enthusiastically support this bill. But what about all the Republicans? I mean, the Republicans actually control the U.S. Senate. They're in the majority. Why did every single Republican vote in favor of this bill. Now, there were a few of them that were sick or home quarantined, uh, like Rand Paul, who didn't vote. But I have a feeling that even if my friend Rand was there, he may have voted for this monstrosity. But maybe, you know, he dodged a bullet. He didn't have to be there and, you know, and, and basically violate everything he stands for, right? Uh, so he didn't have to vote on it. But what's the excuse of all the other senators who were in the Senate and who voted for this because you can't vote for this and be a Republican. I mean, at least in your heart, right? I mean, because if you are in favor of this bill, just change parties right now. In fact, every single Republican in the United States Senate that voted for this should just go change their party affiliation to Democrat, right? I mean, I said at this point, there is no point in funding any uh, campaigns. If any Republican senator asks for a donation, refuse. Just go take the money and buy some gold and silver. It doesn't make a difference if we vote for Democrats or Republicans because they're all socialists, right? This is Bernie Sanders America. He's already won, right? His ideology has won. In fact, it's possible that his entire agenda may in fact have been enacted by the time Joe Biden becomes president. Although, you know, the odds of Trump now have come up a little bit. His popularity has been increasing as he's promising to you know give everybody a bunch of free money and so now he's a little bit more popular we'll see if that lasts all the way till november the economy will be in much worse shape by november i think trump's only chance of getting elected and i think it's still a slim chance or re-elected rather is if he can successfully convince the public that the entire recession is the fault of the coronavirus 
and maybe he'll be able to do that. I mean, I think we would have been in a recession anyway, even if we didn't have the coronavirus, in which case he would have just blamed the Fed. Uh, but I think the coronavirus is an even better target. And I think a lot of people could say, well, obviously we can't blame Trump for that, right? That's not his fault. Uh, but the problem is we had a bubble economy before the pin pricked it. And that's why we're in so much trouble, not because of the coronavirus, but because of the lousy shape the economy was in by the time the coronavirus uh, came around. But this bill, right, this bailout bill, this big blueprint for socialism, right, probably the worst piece of legislation since the 1930s. And by the way, we're just getting started. This Greater Depression has just begun, and we're already at this point. So I can only imagine how much worse the legislation is going to get as this depression uh, you know, continues into its second year and third year and fourth year when we eventually have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. I mean, if we get this much socialism from the Republicans, imagine what we're going to get from the Democrats. And again, the reason the Republicans voted for it is because they don't have the guts to vote against it. That's the problem. They throw out everything they believe in, all their integrity, because nobody wants to be against free stuff when there is a crisis. But just like the legislation of the 1930s that prolongated and exacerbated the Great Depression, this will do the same thing, right? Everything that Hoover did and everything that Roosevelt did made the Great Depression great, made it last longer, made it deeper. Had the government done nothing, you know, the way they did in 1920, and that, you know, downturn started a lot worse than the one in 1929. Uh, you know, the reason that no one's heard of the Great Depression of 1920 is because it never happened. And the reason it didn't happen is because before the government could pass any kind of bailout or stimulus, the free market ended the recession all on its own. The only thing the government did during the 1920 downturn is cut spending, which is the best thing you could do in a recession is make the government a smaller burden on the economy, the opposite of what we do in every recession now and the opposite of what is being done today. But what the government is going to do now, what the Federal Reserve is going to do now is going to be far more destructive than anything the government or the Fed did during the 1930s. So the economic damage is going to be far more destructive. So because this stimulus bill was passed, the very recession that they're trying to fight off is now going to be much more severe. So this cure is worse than the disease. Just to talk about, you know, a small part of what's in there, because, you know, it's a massive bill, and I'm sure most of the people who voted for it have to wait till it's passed to even see what's in it, right? I mean, nobody wanted to vote against it regardless of what's in it. Although one thing that is in there that uh, a few Republicans tried to kill is the extended unemployment benefits, these emergency unemployment benefits where you get four months of higher unemployment where the federal government will subsidize the um, normal unemployment benefits that you get with an extra $600 a week. And I guess a few Republicans noticed that for a lot of people, based on this uh, provision, there's a lot of people out there who will actually earn more money unemployed than they will employed. And maybe earn is not the right word. I mean, get, right? People will be paid more not to work than they will to work. And it dawned on a few Republicans that this is a bad idea 
that why should we give people an extra incentive not to return to work? I mean, we may need people working and being productive, but if we pay them more money to take a vacation, they'll, they'll choose that than, than going to work. And so they actually put in a provision that would have limited the benefits that unemployed people get to the salary they were earning when they had a job. So if you were earning $500 a week when you were employed, the most you can earn being unemployed was $500 a week, right? You couldn't get extra. Uh, you could just get what you were earning. And surprisingly enough, they voted that down, right? So there were uh, there was a majority of senators who didn't want to do that. They wanted people to make more money not working than they made working. Why? Well, I guess they don't want them to work because clearly people aren't idiots. If you get a choice, you know, you can make $500 a week, right, and go to work or, you know, $800 a week and stay home. I mean, what are you going to pick? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. In fact, even if the Senate had fixed the problem, right, so that you made exactly the same amount of money working and not working, that would solve nothing. Because even for equal amounts of money, people are going to choose not to work. You know, number one, sometimes work is hard. It's boring. It's, it's tedious. I mean, most people don't look forward to work. They look forward to the weekends, right? It's not, thank God it's Monday. It's thank God it's Friday. Why? Because Friday is the last day of the work week. People don't want to work. Well, the government just said you could turn every day into a weekend day, right? It's a weekend for four months. Right. So people are going to choose for the same amount of money. I'd rather not work than work. Also, most people have some kind of commute back and forth to work. Some people have a really long commute. They don't get paid for that. That's just wasted time. It costs money. You got to pay for gas, wear and tear on your car, or maybe you're taking public transportation. Right. You know, Maybe you have to pay tolls, whatever. I mean, you save all that money by not working. So if you are paid the same amount of money not to work, you're actually making more money than if you went to work because you save on the expense of getting back and forth to work. You save on the costs of commuting back and forth to work. Now you have all this free time to be with your friends, to be with your family, to take a vacation. I mean, so this bill in and of itself, is going to greatly extend the duration and the severity of this downturn by massively incentivizing a significant percentage of the workforce to deliberately stay unemployed. That is what is going to happen. And so the labor force participation rate is going to collapse to an all-time record low by far. And I think that what we've really done is created an entitlement now not to work. Because even though this only lasts for four months, what's going to happen is four months from now, when we're still in recession and we're even closer to the election, somebody's going to want to uh, have a bill to extend this provision. And nobody is going to have the courage to oppose an extension of a provision to help the poor unemployed people who are unemployed for no fault of their own. So I think that this is going to be like a new third rail. They're going to continuously expand the benefits and the incentives uh, for people not to work. You know, and another really bad part of this whole bailout bill is there's all this money that is being set aside 
for businesses, small businesses, uh, to bail out businesses with forgivable loans. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars uh, for the self-employed, the gig economy. I mean, this is an unprecedented uh, scale, the size of this, right? How much money is being doled out? How many people and businesses are going to qualify? This is going to be the biggest boondoggle in American history because there's no way that the bureaucracy can even vet the claims. I mean, how is anybody going to know uh, how real the claims are? I was reading these articles about all these businesses that have just started up specifically to be bailed out. Airline businesses, cruise companies, I mean, you name it. People are forming businesses now simply so they'll have an entity that will qualify for a bailout. This is going to be the biggest, you know, uh, slush fund uh, fraud. Nobody's going to be able to police this because it's so many claims that are going to be coming in at once and nobody's going to want to deny somebody a claim. I mean, we can't question who, you know, this would, oh, in people's time of need, you know, we're, 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 we're going to be mean spirited. No, no. Everybody's going to get what they want. Everybody's going to lie. Look, I mean, this is just human nature. I mean, if you think there's fraud now, in welfare and food stamps, of course there is. There's always going to be fraud when there's a government program. Whenever the government is giving away money, people are going to want you know their, their share of the pie, whether they deserve it or not. They're going to try to get it. And it's very easy. And you know there's going to be all kinds of fraud in this. But another problem with this is let's say there's businesses that were going to fail anyway. I mean, there's a lot of retailers that were hanging on by a string, right? A lot of people have been buying at Amazon and you know the problem with our economy we have too much retail space that's been a problem for a long time we have too many malls too many shopping centers we were going to have a flush out right a lot of these retailers were going to go out of business and a lot of people in this sector were going to get laid off I mean it was inevitable now what's going to happen is the government's going to keep these companies operating by bailing them out uh, they're giving them money not to lay off workers that they really should be laying off Right. And so this interferes with a badly needed reallocation of resources, particularly labor resources in the economy. You have workers that should lose their jobs and they should be applying their efforts to other areas of the economy where their labor could be efficiently utilized. But see what the government's going to do by propping up companies that should fail and keeping workers on payrolls where they should have been let go and found more productive employment elsewhere, they're going to calcify these businesses and these workers in non-economic businesses. And what that does is that lowers the output and productivity of the nation. It, it, it lowers our collective standard of living. I mean, we're basically moving away from a free market economy of creative destruction where you have market forces, you know, allocating and reallocating resources to maximize our living standards, right, and our, you know, our incomes. Instead of having a market-based efficient economy, we now have a centrally planned government bureaucracy, right? The government is now going to be keeping businesses afloat that should be failing. They're going to be keeping people employed in areas where they shouldn't be employed and therefore preventing those people from moving to areas that the market wants them, where they need to be. So we are dooming our, our nation, our standard of living. We are headed for, again, the worst economic collapse that America has ever experienced. You'd have to look outside the United States 
to find an economic disaster that will be equal in magnitude, although it won't be equal in magnitude in that the United States is the biggest economy that's ever going to collapse. Uh, but on a, you know, on a relative basis, we're going to experience a decline in our economic uh, activity, our standard of living uh, that has happened, but never in the United States. I mean, much worse than the 1930s. I mean, it won't even be close. And in fact, you know, you have all these people now, the government is interfering in all these relationships because landlords you know, or tenants rather can't pay their rent. Uh, debtors can't pay their bills. So we have to bail out the, the lenders. We have to bail out landlords. I mean, there's got to be all these bailouts. But, you know, in a free market economy and even in the 1930s, right, Roosevelt came in and, you know, screwed that up. But still, the government didn't get involved in these things. So if there was a tenant who couldn't pay his rent, you know, he worked it out with the landlord. The government didn't get involved. There was no bailout money. There were, you know, there was no legal protection. I mean, you just worked this stuff out. Uh, if you couldn't pay your bills, you contacted the lender. I mean, people were able to work things out in an efficient way in a free market. But when you have the government coming in and just, you know, passing laws and guaranteeing debts and, you know, doing all these bailouts, you just interfere in a, a process that would have been handled efficiently in a market-based economy, and now you handle it completely inefficiently in a command economy, and then you set up you know, this giant slush fund to waste resources at a time where the economy needs those resources, right? If you have a weakening economy, you want the government to be as small a burden on that economy as possible. You want to make it easier for the economy to recover. But when the government is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and sucking more and more resources out of weakening the economy, you make recovery impossible. You know, another uh, big bailout that's going to be going on is going to be the state's and the municipalities, right, who have issued a lot of debt when times were good. And now the states are not getting the tax revenue. The municipalities are not getting the tax revenue. And they have massive debt that they can't pay. So part of the bailout is to help bail out the states. And in fact, that's why the Federal Reserve has been empowered to buy up municipal bonds, right? The Fed's going to buy all the bonds. But one of the you know big categories of bonds is going to be state uh, general obligation bonds or revenue bonds or municipal bonds. The Federal Reserve is going to be printing up money and buying all these bonds and they're going to be on the balance sheet. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the moral hazard in the eurozone and we're going to import that into the United States. Only we have 50 states. So there are more states in America than there are nations sharing the common currency, the euro. And so we're going to have a much bigger problem because one of the problems in the eurozone, and I said this from the beginning, is you have governments that want to run deficits because they can put off the cost of their deficits on other countries because there's one monetary policy, one currency. And so each country wants to have a deficit because they can push off the effects of that on other countries. And then the problem is, the countries that don't have deficits, that have balanced budgets, uh, you know, now they're like, hey, we're getting taken advantage of. Why should we save? You know, we should just start running deficits too. And you have this big moral hazard, uh, which leads to ever increasing deficits. Well, we're going to have that in spades in the United States, because once the Federal Reserve gives the states and municipalities a get out of jail free card, 
once every state and every municipality can borrow whatever amount of money it wants and not have to worry about its credit rating, not have to worry about being able to repay the money if they know the Federal Reserve is just going to buy up whatever bonds they sell. Now, all of a sudden, they have a debt monetization program so they can run deficits as large as the federal government. So now all the states that have big deficits are going to have even bigger deficits. And the states that aren't running deficits that are in surpluses, well, shit, they'll just start cutting taxes too. I mean, why should they be responsible? When everybody else is profligate, they might as well be profligate too. Otherwise, they're a sucker. Otherwise, they're being punished to bail out everybody else. So now all the states that are responsible are going to start being reckless and irresponsible. Everybody's going to run deficits. And the Fed's going to have to print more and more money to buy this up. Look, we are going to have a complete monetary collapse, right? That is the only way this could possibly end. If the Fed says that we're never going to run out of bullets, well, they're going to keep on firing their bullets. What will stop them? Only a currency crisis, right? The Fed will keep shooting until they kill the dollar. The question is, after the dollar is dead, then what do they do? How do they resurrect the economy when we've killed the money? We'll be right back. 